So Tristan, just me and you for this episode, but we're gonna do a strategy, a little bit of a workshop in reality for the listeners that are thinking of investing property. How do they start the perfect strategy to create their property investing journey? So on this podcast, we're just gonna have a conversation and go through everything that we've learned from decades worth of property experience, but also this podcast itself, because I think we've learned so much of some of the experts that we've had on that it's been really helpful for us as well. Yeah, I think it's important. Like you said, there's so much education that we've had. And I think there's so much information that maybe some people have missed in some of the podcasts. So along the way, we'll talk about the benefits of those and how it can help a landlord looking to to become a landlord for the first time. Um, But there's a lot to go for, I I would say. I think sometimes in anything in life, it's scary to pull the trigger. And someone, when you say investing in property, it can sound like a bigger deal than actually it is. So what we're going to break down is the fact that if you are going to invest in property, you're not going to buy a £350,000 property with your own cash and put you know, well over a quarter of a million pounds into it, you're going to buy most of it with the bank's money and make money off the bank's money. And they charge a marginal interest, you're going to charge a much higher rent. So it's exciting and we want to get that across to the, to the property investor out there that maybe has done it accidentally and they want to get really stuck into it or they're just a first time investor and they're thinking, right, I need a strategy, I need a notebook in front of me to day, Ian and Tristan are going to go through and give me the checklist and then I've got some legs that I can start walking with rather than just thinking what do I do next. So we'll get straight into it. I think for me what I've learned from talking to people like Action Coach, um, talking to anyone that's investing, talking to Sanjay as a property investor, talking to Darren the accountant, the mortgage advisors, it always comes back to know your reason and know your goal, know what you're, why you're investing in property. And I think that's vital for any property investor. And everyone's got different reasons. And for me personally, I own a flat which um, I bought when I was 31. And my goal was to have that paid off by the time I turned 50. So rather than getting the standard 25-year fixed mortgage or 25-year mortgage term or 35 or 30, I set that up on a 19-year repayment mortgage. And my strategy with that particular flat is that when I'm 50, it will be paid off and, I don't know, it could be worth a quarter of a million pounds for something, something like that. But my goal was always that that was my pension pot if I needed it, that I could sell it or refinance it and it was completely paid off. So I don't actually make a huge amount of money monthly, peanuts in reality, enough to pay for appliances that that break every couple of years and that's about it. Um, But the goal behind that strategy is that I've got an equity cash pot when I turn 50. And that's my personal goal with that one. So what other goals do you normally find landlords come to you with when you're having chats with them? I think just going back on your point as well to to just to reassure people is that's not your money that's paying it over that period of time. That tenant is paying that money plus the capital appreciation on that. So it's a win-win, goes up in value and you're not paying it someone else's money. Absolutely. So it's definitely something that people should work to with a goal. But I mean, from my side, I've spoken to a few landlords recently where they've invested in properties. It's interest only. There's one landlord in particular, he's got five properties. And I said, what's your plan? He goes, well, to be honest with you, I'm 65, I'm getting on a bit. I want to get out. Mm. I was like, okay, so what's your plan? And he said to me, I don't actually have a plan. And I think speaking to you has made me realize I should have. And mm. I haven't been doing it because I haven't been paying the mortgage. I've just been spending the money. Yeah. So he's never had a goal from day one. He's been investing in all these new properties. 
but he hasn't actually got any plan in there other than own the properties. Yeah. So um, since then, he's sat down with a kill and he's put together a plan of action and now he's looking at selling two of them because the mortgages are nearly up, but he's gonna reinvest in a couple of other properties. But now he has a strategy in place because he wants to. He wanted to take some money out as well to pay for his um, children's funding um, yeah. for, for university. So that's all sorted now. Um, and now he's gonna reinvest in another property, but he's gonna look at a different investment rather than before he was going for cash flow of flats mm. with no plan. But now we spoke about the family homes locally because he's investing locally. So yeah, yeah. now he's got my knowledge. Um, he will benefit from the capital appreciation long-term. He can still sell the other ones, but he's still gonna have some assets there. I think that consultancy is, is just so important for people. And we, we offer that advice to people. We, we love people to come and fire questions at us and we'd love to help people with their journey. But that's a prime example of someone that would probably, if he hadn't had that conversation with you, sold all five properties, which would have been tax inefficient, he wouldn't have benefited over the rest of his life of having that income coming in. And he's probably put himself in a position where he's bought a load of leaseholds and he sees a clock because you see a lease clock. Whereas if you're going to buy in the freeholds and now he can do the goals that he wants, he's gonna be, he's gonna be in a good place. The, the second point from setting someone's goals up is definitely planning out how much time you've got. So putting an order in place and putting a time allocation in place that you can actually afford to do. So someone who's 65 and retired might have more time on their hands than someone that's 38 years old, that's running a couple of businesses, got two young kids, and might not have the ability to um, put as much time in for sourcing and talking and maintenance and all of the other bits and bobs. So I think you've got to have an honest conversation of how much time you've got as an individual that you can commit. And I think that's probably a fair second point to start with, I would say. I think it's worth noting that Darren said on one of his podcasts is he's outsourced to professionals because in the tax side of things, it's a full-time job knowing what you're doing yeah and managing a property is a full-time job that's why you're paying someone for their experience because it can take a lot of time mm. if you're not in that field let someone else deal with it so I think it's important like you said is to get that power team yeah whether it's an accountant whether it's a mortgage broker whether it's a property sourcer whether it's someone managing the property and working out from the goal if you have the time to do that great yeah but don't take on something that you're not prepared for because there's a lot of changes in property there's a lot of tax changes and you paying someone an extra thousand pounds for tax advice could save you tens of thousands yeah. so i yeah. think it's important to, to definitely look around for that and i think different people are good at different skills you know uh, gary das that was on the other week he said he doesn't like property and what he meant is he doesn't like the, the hands-on nature of it he couldn't hang a curtain pole someone might be really hands-on but terrible at numbers so they need to spend more money on advice with an accountant and not as much money on the, the maintenance element of things. They're not going to need to outsource to a handyman. Whereas someone might be the opposite. You know, they might be phenomenal with numbers. They might be really up to date. They might be the financial controller of a business, but not very hands-on at all. And therefore, you know, they need to pay that little bit of extra money to have that kind of works team in play, but they don't need to pay as much on an accountant. Well, it's it's very simple, isn't it? It's a, a 10 minute exercise to sit there and brainstorm of what your pluses are, what your weaknesses are, what you need to do to plan to get to where you want to be, and then work out who you need to speak to. Yeah. Very simple to just brainstorm and yeah. then you can sit down and go in more detail, but yeah. for the sake of an hour or so, just to sit down and do it. And although I think, you know, you said it can take a lot of time up property, 
More often than not, it doesn't, but what it always does is it lands at the inconvenient time. You're on holiday or you can't take a call because you're on a training course for three days and there's a leak in the flat or you know the boiler's packed up or there's a problem with the tenant, whatever it may be, the keys. Always, away. always happens at the most in inconvenient time and that's where you've got to plan and strategize around who's gonna do what. So much like setting up a business, it operates without you there, so does your buy to let. Um, so that's definitely step two. And once you've ordered that planning, then there's having those conversations with that power team. Set up your power team, get your accountant, your mortgage advisor, your solicitor, your estate agent, everything you need in play, and then start talking to those. Get that expertise from them, I would say, is the next step. Yeah, definitely. I mean, most of it, well, all of them will happily have a, a five, 10 minute phone call and a majority of them will sit down and ask you exactly the same thing what we're banging on about is, yeah. what are your goals? What do you want to get from this? Yeah. And you need to be open and frank with them. There's no point hiding anything. If there's some bad credit that you've got, you need to be very transparent with them because you being honest could be uh, a changer in terms of what you do moving forward. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely sit down, arrange the calls and, and go through that because that could that could ultimately change the direction you go in to, to get that, that goal you need. Yeah, and I think it's hard to do it, but up to that point, you've got to have a complete blank canvas on the type and the location and the price of the property you're inevitably going to buy. You work your goal, you work your planning, then you talk to the pros, you talk to the experts, and then step four you can get to property criteria because you've kind of drawn it out from that point of view and you're in a position then when you can say, right, I know from the chats I've had with the mortgage advisor, the estate agents, the accountant, this is the perfect type of property for me. And that's when you then look at price, location, style. And that's, again, a little bit of strategy within itself is you're not actively sourcing at that point, but you are looking at Rightmove potentially, looking at estate agents' websites, having a chat to see what's coming up, but you're creating what that perfect home looks like. And I normally say to buyers, have three non-negotiables. What are those non-negotiables that must be with that property? And then have three things that you would really like. Always make sure you get all the non-negotiables and if you can get two of three on the second bracket, things that you would like, that's probably a, a good sign off, I would say. You might never get perfect, so you've got to be able to waver with one of the second batch of three, and, and that's the advice I give people. There will always be a compromise with whatever you do, and as long as it's the target audience you're looking for, those compromises, depending on the advice you've been given, will be fine. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we always talk about three bedroom family homes they're great rentals locally to where we cover. And the reason for that is typically it's gonna be a family, they're gonna be going to school and don't wanna move. And the reason they are moving is probably because the landlord's selling of some sorts of moving back in. Yeah. So they want somewhere where they're not gonna be chopping and changing. That's a good rent for you. That's guaranteed for a long term. So you're not gonna be paying agents fees every time they leave. And less obviously wear and tear. Every time a tenant moves out, there's a possibility later down the line you're going to have to paint it because of moving in, moving out and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So there's added benefits to that. And then on top of that, you've got the capital appreciation on a family home. If you compare that to an apartment where you're going to have a good cash flow, but 
the capital appreciation is not going to be as much as a typical family home. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up more. And if there's potential, like a converting a garage or somewhere you can add value to it, it's going to add further uh, money for you. Yeah, if you can build an extra reception room or um, build an extra bedroom, they're both going to add value. And, and reception rooms are almost as valuable as bedrooms at the moment since the work at home and you know playrooms and things like that are so valuable. So yeah, 100%. I think one thing to touch on with the expert conversations as well, any relationship in life is built from a foundation of trust. And if you're recommended to someone, but you haven't got that gut feel of a good trust relationship with them, don't use them just because they're recommended and vice versa. If you do get a recommendation because someone's used them time and time again, definitely take up on the recommendation. Doesn't mean gospel, you've got to use them, but trust is so important with that power team because you're putting your your life goals and your life finances you know, in, into that. So it's really important. And then I guess the fun part of it, you've got the criteria, you know what you want, actively sourcing. Definitely. I think there's one more thing to add back on that last point, yeah. if that's okay, is you mentioning, I think it was Mike's podcast at the beginning, was how to find that power team. So if you're investing out of area or you don't have the connections that you want, Facebook's a great place. Yeah. Put in the local groups and ask for recommendation. We Love Bratton always a prime example. You'll post something and you'll get 50, 60 comments of people yeah. and you will see the same name banging over and over again. And that's because a lot of people have used them, they're trusted locally. So mm. top tip from yourself actually yeah. was checking the local Facebook groups. Checking the Facebook groups and if you're not on Facebook but you're active on LinkedIn, then you've got a nice professional community on LinkedIn. You can always fire some some same shouts into there asking for recommendations on LinkedIn. It, it works an absolute treat. But the other thing that you said as well is uh, that's the perfect scenario, but be careful when speaking to agents because some of them, as we said, they do get referrals and incentivized to, to obviously recommend certain people. So I think it's important to mention that because a state agency gets the reputation it gets. But a big part of it is most estate agency businesses are looking for markups on everything they recommend. So when someone says, have you got a mortgage advisor or a solicitor or a tradesman that you could recommend, they're always going to say yes, because they've got their network of people that pay them money. And it doesn't happen with every agency, but it definitely happens with corporates and large independents, is they're going to recommend someone not by quality um, or experience or service or work, they're going to recommend the person that's going to pay them the most cash. Pounds and pence. Exactly. And it's a disappointment, but that unfortunately comes from the industry being high cost, high turnover, small profit. So if they can make extra margins, they will do. So definitely worth mentioning. Um, So let's say you're actively sourcing. It's the fun part of it. At the moment, it's the challenging part of it, because let's be honest, it's bloody difficult to find a house at the moment, or, or a flat, or a bungalow, or a holiday home, or caravan, or whatever you're looking for. It's a challenge out there at the moment. So when you are sourcing, I guess some tips to help people, because let's be honest, not everything is hitting right move and is for sale. There's other ways around sourcing. So what kind of areas of advice would you give to someone that knows what they want, but they're struggling to find that deal? What channels can they go down? I think it first of all starts with building a relationship with the agent first of all, being clear and precise of what you're looking for. If you're just saying, I want to invest in a property, I don't really know what I want, Mm. you haven't really worked out a clear enough vision of your goal. 
Um, so you need to be specific. I want three bedrooms. I want a semi-detached with a driveway. Let's be honest, in the current market, it's unlikely you're going to get that specific um, because things are going so quickly. And I've got many investors I'm working with, well, not many, I'm working with a few individuals specifically, mm. but they've lost out on loads of properties. And that's yeah. because there's open houses of 15, 20 people, and so many people are bidding over the asking price. Yeah. So I think it's important once you've got a clear vision of what you want, build a relationship, make it clear to the agent this is what you're looking for, this is what you, you want to, to, to get as an end goal, but you will compromise in certain areas, so if anything comes up, make sure you're the first to call. Um, so you're very transparent from that, and you've built that relationship and just keeping in touch with them, if something does come up, you will be on the back of their mind of, look, I've got this coming onto the market, would you be interested? Obviously the answer is yes. It's a good way to work out if that estate agent is going to be the one that you want to rent your property through. Because let's be honest, finding a property, you don't really need the agent just to find a property as much as you need the agent to be good to manage the property, find you the right tenant. That's the long-term relationship. So if you think, right, these are the couple of agents that I think I'm going to use to help grow my portfolio, manage my portfolio and actively work with, then speak to those agents, tell them the type of property you're looking to buy, and how proactive and helpful are they with you at that point decides whether you're adding that estate agent to your power team as the end goal renter. Don't just decide that you're gonna let it with the first agent that you find through because they might be useless at that part of it. They might completely destroy the dream of what you're trying to do. So do that part of it first. Make the decision on who you feel comfortable renting with on that short list ask them the question, you know, I'm looking for this property, can you find it, can you advise, can you give me some, um, some tips, and then use that gut feel of trust with the conversations you have, and if they're actively out there finding properties for you, even that, whether it's with them or another agent, then you know you've got yourself a golden nugget, and if it's in the home counties, that's exactly what we do, feel free to speak to us, and you know, we'll happily help if, if someone wants our help. If it's not in the home counties, and they want a couple of tips on agents where they are, reach out, and we'll give them the short list of the agents in their area that we think might do a good job for them as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good, good to work with an agent that's going to share the same vision. If they know what you're looking for, then if it's going to be a long-term relationship, then they will know what to work with. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the property sourcing element, we do what well, I do, buy to let of the week, for example. Um, there was one, so just talking numbers sake, there was one the other day that come on with a, a local agent for £250,000, leasehold property, but good lease, lovely garden, first floor, being new, um, new uh, bathroom and kitchen. It was four points, I believe, from a C rating, so with the potential change of EPC, there's a minimal Covered. work to bring it up as well. Um, there was a property let a few months before, similar but not as nice, for 1050 for figures sake, I said a thousand pounds because that's the realistic figure in a normal market. Mm -hmm. Whereas at the moment we're probably overachieving on certain properties and it would have brought out a profit and the current rates of 669 pounds, I believe it was. So that was something that we went out our way. We don't get any financial benefit from going out there to talk about that property, but because of the audience we're targeting, who we're speaking to, we're working with investors. Yeah we're publicly sharing the information of that property of why it's a great investment and why it could work for them. Yeah. So if you are looking for an investment locally, as Ian said, take a look at our socials, happy to help. And if it's out of area, we've got 
um, a back-end system where we can find out the local comparables for you, but it's important to make sure where you're investing is not because it's cheap, it's because there's a marketplace for a good rental opportunity. Um, SDL property uh, auctions we had, he said about um, people investing in certain areas up north because it was really cheap and they thought it was a great investment, got the property, realised no one wanted to rent it because it was so cheap people were buying and they couldn't rent them. Yeah. So don't jump into to the trap. Yeah, it is all well and good. If something looks too good to be true, often it, it actually is. Um, step six, a couple of people have mentioned this, not as many as I thought actually, but Pete Laverdos on the Action Coach podcast, he spoke about it a lot, and Darren Parsons, the accountant, spoke about it as well. And that's setting up your cash flow and your accounts correctly. And that might be as simple for you as just a really good Excel sheet, which means this is what your forecast cash flow is likely to be. So this is mortgage, this is maintenance charge, this is the leasehold, if it's a leasehold, or obviously if it's a freehold, not. Landlord insurance, compliance, rent, and this is the difference between them. And bringing in some sort of cash flow forecast where maybe over the next three years, you might have two void periods put in there, just worst case scenario. You've got your two void periods in there and you can almost look at exactly what your cash pot is gonna be in that three year mortgage fixed term. And I think doing that as an investor, especially as a new investor looking to start your property investing journey is a great way to visually work out exactly what's coming your way rather than just doing stuff same thing in business you know if you haven't got any planning in your business your business will never be as good as what it needs to be if you haven't got any planning in your diet you're never going to lose the weight you want to or get as healthy as you need to same thing in property investing set up your forecast set up your cash flow make sure your accountants see interaction with whoever you're going to use is really strong and then you know exactly where you're going to be annual to annual, which I think is a great tip. That one from Peter Laverdos, that really hit home for me because it wasn't something that I'd done personally with mine. It's a shame Mike's not here because he loves a spreadsheet. <laughs> I love a spreadsheet. I'm, a, I'm an Excel whiz, but I, I hadn't done it with my property. He, he's he's a man that, that, that loves his forecasts, yeah. um, let's be honest. And yeah. Pete, he, he, he'd done the same thing. He'd done a short-term and a long-term one. Mm. And providing, he said, it nine times out of 10, it'll be there or thereabouts because you can't predict what's going to happen on the void period, mm -hmm. but you can factor in a rough idea of, of how it is. Yeah. Um, same as um, the, the, the other recent podcast we had, um, slightly changing it, but same, still relevant, mm. with um, Ollie from Goodlord talking about insurance. He says references are a snapshot of today, but we can't plan for what happens tomorrow. Yeah. And that's why insurance policies are in there. So maybe factor in an insurance um, protection in that breakdown because if it will then minimize any void period if there was a worst case yeah. scenario yeah. so you're covered nine times out of ten you probably won't use it but you can't plan for tomorrow but your cash flow forecast can make your decision if you think you're only going to get two months out of 36 void and that's going to cost you two grand for example in rent then if your insurance over that 36 months is going to cost you 500 quid which is a no-brainer shortly because you're 1500 quid up um, that's where the forecasting can come into play yeah. and you can work out a strategy of what actually makes sense. But thankfully, so, in the current market, it's unlikely you will have that. So exactly. fingers crossed it stays like that and uh, yeah. you'll be fine because yeah. we're turning around properties so quickly and we're not typically seeing that. So I suppose time will tell, but if it plans out the way it is. It comes in cycles, so at some point it's going to be more relevant than it is now for sure. Um, step seven, 
complete on that property. You've sourced it, you've been out active, you've got your cash flow set up, it works, you've committed, you've got an offer agreed. Yes, there's a whole rigmarole that can go through with that, but we won't discuss that on this podcast. It's then getting to the point where the offer's agreed, the legals are done, and then you complete, which is an exciting moment, isn't it? It's. I think for, for anyone completing on their first investment, it should feel as sexy, fun, and as exciting as buying your first property. Definitely, it's it's a very exciting moment, and uh, there's no feeling like it, is it? You, you've just bought a great asset, and it's yeah. hopefully gonna make you your pension pot. A big step towards your goal. Once you do that and you do complete, that's where you have to, I've already planned and got all the quotes and everything, but you have to action all of the compliance, get all the legislation in play. And I think Megan, I wasn't on the podcast, but I think listening back to Megan's podcast, that's a really good one if someone wants to get some inside info into the compliance or just reach out to us. If you're anywhere in the country and you wanna know X, Y, and Z, we can send someone a checklist, we can help them out with that. Obviously, we can't manage a property in Yorkshire, but we can help people with a little bit of our understanding of what they need to do when they complete on their investment from a compliance point of view. I think there's also a good point to add is there's so much information on our blogs of what they need to do to prepare yeah. that. Yeah. They could potentially read it as well. There's no harm in a quick phone call for me to talk through that. But at the same time, there's enough information on there to, to guide you or send them a checklist like you said. Personally, I wouldn't say all the compliance immediately if it was me. I think the EICR is a big one mm-hmm. um, because nine times out of 10, if it's an older property, it's likely to need some remedial work. Yeah. Um, gas safety, the EICR is five years from the date it's done, whereas a gas safety is 12 months. Mm. So I normally recommend providing it's a reliable sort of boiler. Um, sort of week of moving, I would say, unless you're sort of expecting something to go wrong with it. Yeah, it depends on the age. Yeah, because then you can plan for for that, but you would have put that in your numbers anyway. You would have had an idea from when you viewed the property. Yeah. Um, EPC obviously is a legal requirement to have, which you would have had it from purchase, so just make sure that's up to the standard. Anyone investing, I'm sure, is going to be looking for a high D or, or low C anyway, mm-hmm. as a minimum. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything to worry about from that. But I think the, the, the important thing to do is, depending on who you're buying from and whether you're working with that agent to let it nine times out of ten they will liaise with the, the seller and agree for them to market the property at point of exchange mm-hmm. um, so then you can have in an ideal world a tenant lined up for just after completion yeah so once they've exchanged it's near enough there sometimes sometimes it's simultaneous but there's sometimes a week or two between depending on circumstances I think it's why using a letting agent that's very active on social media helps it's not an indirect plug for us, although it sounds like it is, but it's the way of the world these days because if someone's exchanged, you can instantly have marketing done on a social channel, which means those tenants that might be interested in your property find out about it within the hour rather than having to wait for a photographer to gain access, to do this, that, and the other. Social media, boom, straight away, you've got a, a waiting list of tenants ready to go in for completion, and you're already two weeks a week, three weeks, depending on the delay between exchange and completion, in advance to an agent that's snail pace, old school, not not up to speed with that side of things and not active on social. So yeah. it could save you half a month's rent, maybe a month's rent, just from that. I'd probably say definitely a month, because mm. the, if you wait until completion, then they've got to get in to do the marketing, get yeah. it live, 
you've missed potentially a week, two weeks worth of marketing instantly. Whereas if you had started that and done viewings, you could have potentially had a tenant lined up for the day of day of completion or yeah. day after to allow for if there are works to be done. But you would line all that up with your contractors. So you've got sort of a regimented mm-hmm. system in place to have that. Yeah. It's so important. And also it's an opportunity if the market is busy to try your luck with a slightly higher price. Mm-hmm. If you've got a little bit of time to play with and you feel that you could achieve that slightly bit, which in the current market is likely if it's a family home, yeah. then it gives you that opportunity. It just depends on what you're working to. An extra 50 quid could mean all of that. But if it's empty for a month, that extra 50 quid is pointless because you've lost that and more than that of loss of rent, plus your utilities, you're liable for council tax. Mm. So they're all added benefit or added costs you need to factor in. Yeah. I think is where off right move advertising is also quite helpful because you can go to socials, go on the social pages, go to your CRM, actually without a price, with a guide, what's that coming to the market? It's gonna be something around X, what's your budget? Oh, I pay 1700 max when landlords expecting 1600 and you know you could potentially have the property letters 1650 knowing that three four five different tenants have all said they pay 1650 and one 1700 you don't always necessarily go with the highest price straight off the bat but you pick the right tenant and all of a sudden you got 50 quid more than you expected just through clever marketing well i've i've got a prime answer to that i mm. had one a couple of weeks ago um, it's a four bed semi, but over 2000 square feet. Um, I did go and do the marketing, so it's like a slightly different scenario, but I had two people I, I knew I was speaking to and they'd missed out on a few properties. And I said, look, I've got this. The problem is the time scales are unconfirmed, which is why it's not live. This is the details. And I had two offers at the asking price and it hadn't even hit the market. Unfortunately, it hasn't been agreed because the time scales are still unconfirmed because it's been pushed back by two months. Mm. But it just shows you the offline speaking to people. With RCRM, you can match out to people and yeah. make them aware. And even Facebook Lives, it's so easy to reach an audience on that. It's so important. You, you gave the landlord a decision to make. They made their decision. It didn't quite work on those timescales, yeah. but at least you've given them options. And that's what landlords... And reassurance are, of price. Exactly that. Exactly that. So you've got your completion day. You've got your compliance. And then it gets down to the works and the purchasing, and you mentioned about EICRs and gas sets and stuff like that, but there's also, there's a list of things that even letting a property unfurnished really you need to have. And that's not just the appliances, which I'll let you list in a second, what basic level appliances there should be, but it's also looking at walls, damage, carpet cleaning, oven clean, those type of things I think are really important that as a landlord, you spend that little bit of time and effort right at the beginning to let the property, so on the inventory, it's got professionally cleaned oven. If it's a really grubby carpet, get it cleaned, pay 35, 40 pounds a room to have a professional carpet cleaner go in there and actually get it looking tip top. And I think that makes a big difference to void periods, speed of move out, just the way the tenant treats the property. You wanna feel like you just moved into your new home. You don't wanna feel like you've moved into somewhere grubby and you've gotta make it your home. And then on top of that, you need a checklist of, of certain appliances as yeah, well. Yeah, I think it's worth adding with the clean. There's no point getting a cleaner in straight away because if there's gonna be viewings, if there's gonna be a slight empty period, then it's gonna collect dust mm-hmm. um, and you're gonna to have to basically pay again. Yeah. Um, I've run a Hoover over on a, just before an appointment just to, because it, it helps it feel fresh. So it's important to make it feel tidy. And if you can, if the property is empty and you've completed, 
dress the property as well. So yeah. a few, I had a landlord go out and buy some cheap flowers, like fake flowers with vases, a few curtains up, made it look like someone was living there mm -hmm. and it made all the difference and it helped get a slightly higher price on that because it looked like someone, it, as soon as someone walked in, it felt like home basically. But with regards to the, the preparation side of things, typically a property it locally is unfurnished. If you want a long-term tenant, you're gonna want it unfurnished because someone that's gonna go out and buy furniture to fit that property yep. is likely not gonna be moving anytime soon. <laughs> so that's the first benefit. Two, you're not having to spend money on furniture for the sake of it because it can be quite costly. Mm -hmm. Can't really buy secondhand because one, people don't want that and two, you have to make sure the fire labels are on there and so forth. So it's just better to do it unfurnished, you don't have that problem. Then in terms of white goods, typically a fridge freezer, your cooker is standard, it's normally integrated, but if it's freestanding, your cooker and your oven um, and a washing machine. A dishwasher is normally um, a gift mm -hmm. of some sorts or sometimes it's integrated where it can't be, but depending on what you agree, it's a luxury really, isn't it? It's not a necessity yeah. um, on that. So. Um, I guess that depends on spec of property. If it's not a family home, it's a bonus. If it's a family home, it probably becomes a... It's becoming an everyday fit. A lot of people you see want a dishwasher, but it's not a deal breaker for a A lot of them are integrated these days as well. With exactly. a kitchen that's been done in the last 10 years, you'd expect it to probably have been integrated, yeah. I would have thought. But Nine times out of 10 it is. Yeah. So there's the checklist and the time scales between moving, obviously really important. You've got things like your inventory, your check-in that obviously gets done just before tenancy. You have to agree a tenancy. So picking a tenant at the moment, you've got the luxury of a landlord of maybe having a couple of different options, but how would you, if it's a case of splitting hairs, prices are the same, how would you advise a landlord on the best tenant to go for? What are you looking for with that tenant? So first of all, as an agent, I get a gut feeling, mm -hmm. meeting someone in person. So initially we register them on the phone, we speak to them. You normally get an idea on the phone, but meeting them in person is the, the biggest decider I'd say because we normally from experience get a gut feeling if you feel that it's legit sometimes you find someone's trying to hide something which I had the other day and I got to the bottom of it and they was mm -hmm. um, so just with experience that happens but I think in terms of you've got two offers on the table I think it's worth considering what their long-term goal is, whether they want to be there long-term. One offers two years, one offers 12 months. What's their month with their plan in 12 months? Is it to buy, is it to move on from there? Um, and that'll work out whether that works with you, first of all, if you're buying it for investment, you're gonna want yeah. a long-term tenant. Um, if it's exactly the same, then you've got to look at the incomes. Mm -hmm. If there's one single person and two, like a, a couple, for example, two incomes is probably slightly better than one because if one's made redundant or falls ill, you've got the cover of the other person, so it's an added benefit. Even if the two of them added together are not quite as high as the individual, the risk factor is yeah. still in favour of landlord with two incomes. I would say so. I think it depends on the nature of the business, but nine times out of ten, you'd, you'd rather two incomes than one because it just gives that added security to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole idea of references is it's a snapshot of today, but to make sure that they will be there and likely to have their job and, and not lose it, for example. Um, I said, you can't plan for tomorrow, but you'll have an idea. There's so many IT professionals we deal with locally that are on very good incomes and 
come, come as a couple where the wife's not working or yeah. it's on a single. So I think it's a case by case scenario, but that's where the agent will come in and give their expertise on that. Yeah. Um, and then it comes down to who's moving in. If there's a small family or a single person, the like is the family's gonna be there longer than the single person because mm. what they're gonna do with the other bedrooms if it's a free bedroom, for example. It might be a little bit more wear and tear with the family. Yeah. But then might have longer period in, in there. So you kind of goes back to your reason, your goal, what are you looking for and what you're trying to achieve. And yeah, totally agree with that. What about pets? Because let's be honest, we're talking about family homes a lot as investment. A lot of families have got pets. What's your kind of take on, on the pet scenario? It's still a massive gray area in the industry. Um, they're trying to obviously change it because there's so many people with pets, especially since lockdown. Um, but there's a lot of pets now that are basically need to be homed because people are now returning to offices. They thought it was a great idea to get them. Um, and now they're having to go to office. They've got no one to, to be there with the, with them, which is unfortunate to see. Yeah, it's not nice, yeah. Um, but the benefit of it is, I mean, if it's the ideal tenant that's gonna be there long term, why wouldn't you consider it if it's your typical family home? Because a lot of it's a part of the family, isn't it? Mm. And children could probably make more wear and tear than most animals nowadays. And that is exactly what's discussed in our yeah, couple of podcast. Yeah, a couple of times we spoke about it, haven't we? Um, so I think it's a case by case scenario. I had one the other day where the owner of Category bought a brand new property, said I don't want any pets, which is understandable. It's fine, it's brand new, um, brand new carpets and whatnot. Yeah, throughout, obviously it's brand new. Um, but I got sent a picture and it was like a tiniest dog you'll ever see. And um, they sort of explained the situation to me. And I went to the owner and I said, look, I know you don't want pets, totally understandable because you've made the decision, but I've got the person, I've got a family, perfect tenant, income's great, um, looking long term, mm -hmm. but they have the small dog, this is a picture, this is their position. And he said, I know I said no pets, but something like that I would consider. So I think it really depends on the scenario and the size of the property. If you're on a one bedroom flat with no outdoor space, I don't think it's fair. Yeah. But if it's a, a property with a garden, then I think it's worth considering. So you need to be careful if it's a leasehold property, it's not a restriction of the leasehold as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I'd really say you will get more rent um, for, from the property as it's well. It's case by case, isn't it? Yeah. Like you said, I think it's something that on the initial meeting with the agent, explain the reasons why, if they're absolute non, stickers and it just makes total sense to do that totally get it if there's a little bit of common sense that can come into it that's the difference between agents like us doing the lettings viewings considering we met the landlord already to you know the cheap weekender or the trainee that's just yeah. ticking boxes is the difference of common sense so but can i just add to that as yeah. well though is if a tenant that there's a lot more tenants out there with pets than people that aren't with pets because of the increased people of of introduce them to their family. So if you want a high rent and a quicker turnaround, I would more be inclined to consider it than to say categorically no. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're on the fence, allow the viewings to go ahead and if you get the right tenant, then consider it is what I would say. Don't yeah. lim limit it and eliminate it straight away. Because yeah. that could be the deciding factor from an empty property for four weeks or to having a tenant immediately. Makes makes good sense to me. And then you've got the tenant moved in and then 
the next process starts, which is almost the second half of the investing process, which is you've got to maintain. And I, I've wrote down here communication and hospitality. And it's not just communication with the tenant, but it's communication with the agent, communication in every way, communication with your accountant, your mortgage advisor, check your fixed terms. So communication, open dialogue with everyone in your power team, including the tenant and hospitality. You're, it's not a hotel. So I'm not saying go around there and deliver flowers every week. I'm not saying make sure when they go out, you go back in and put chocolates on the pillow. But hospitality in terms of if a shower's broken, fix it. If the window blows and it's causing a little bit of damp, get it fixed. If there's an issue somewhere, jump on it. If the tenant's taking the mic, obviously it's understandable, but hospitality, make sure that that tenant feels like it's their home, they'll treat it like their home, you'll have a better asset at the end of the tenancy, easier to let, less money to spend to get the next tenant in, and all around it's a nicer experience for everyone because it comes down to relationships, isn't it? It's people we're talking about here. I have a top tip for that. Go for it. Chris Chris said that um, on his podcast um, with Sponge. When the tenants moved into there, I said to them, I was like, you're the only person I've had that's done this. And his wife went out and bought a box of chocolates, some flowers, and wrote them a lovely card saying like, welcome to your new home. I hope you've really settled here. We was here for X amount of years. Um, These are the recommended takeaway shops. And just made them feel welcomed. Although we give them a gift and sort of introduce them when they move in. Mm. It's all about relationships, like you said. And I think you get out what you can put in, which is exactly what Megan said, is if that tenant feels valued in that property, and feels like there's a good relationship, the likelihood is they're gonna help you when it's needed. Yeah. There might be a time where, as he did, he needed an important letter that was coming through, although he, was, uh, he hadn't redirected the post at the time, um, and there was a very important letter coming, and he just basically dropped, I dropped her a message and said, look, it, the land was asked if this letter comes, can you just let me know? Mm. And it was sorted within sort of a day when it, when it arrived. And it's just small favors like that, yeah. that, that can, although they probably won't come up often, but also on top of that is the, the tenants likely to stay there long term as well. And when we when we talk about the the benefit of a long term tenant, that's what you want. If you you have someone there six seven years, you've saved thousands of pounds worth of fees on finding a tenant every single year. Yep. The extra painting you're doing because the likelihood is they'll just say, oh, do you mind if I paint this property or this room a neutral colour or of some sort? Or do you mind if I do this? Mm-hmm. They'll make it feel like home, but you're probably likely not going to hear from them other than to do something like that and every now and then you may get the boilers broken on the off chance mm. but the likelihood is it's not yeah exactly yeah i think really important uh, vez actually on a podcast that, that me and mike did talking about why end of tenancy cleans is an industry that's broken but he's a landlord himself and he said exactly the same thing he left a little note with all of the local takeaways and just the things around the house that you know, if a hinge it takes a little nook and a little way or the front door locks in a certain way, just left a note. So communication, hospitality, it is a transaction, it is a business, it is an asset, it is a workflow sheet, and that is exactly what it is, but also is people. And if you do that part of it in the right way, both of them can work in unison and you get the perfect buy-to-let dream effectively. And then at that point, our 12th and final tip is, do you go again? And when do you go again? 
and does that help towards your goal or are you happy with what you've created in just the single one and, and that's the next step isn't it the next question yeah definitely I think that comes down to the conversation about the initial stage with, with your power team mm-hmm. and what mortgage you've gone for if you're getting quite a lot of gross profit which in current rates you are getting a massive gross profit yeah. if you want an interest only mortgage do you put 10% aside to pay off that mortgage and put the other stuff into another pot to reinvest once again, it's not your cash. If you do that for a five, six, seven year period, you've got enough deposit to, yep. to buy your next one yep. or how soon do you do it? Exactly that. Hopefully everyone listening has found those 12 tips really helpful. Um, from our point of view, we just thought it was a good way to share for people that are thinking, right, how do I get to the next step? And hopefully if you've made a note of those 12 points, it will give you the next step-by-step process for you to get closer to where you want to get to. And I think a lot of people don't buy property investments with that strategy and if they did there'd be less mistakes made more proactive more proactivity done and people would get to their goal much quicker so if anyone wants to know more information or they want to elaborate on any of those 12 points or something else a little bit more in detail please reach out to us you know we love to help the property investing community if you're an active landlord at the moment you don't need advice on getting your first property but you want advice on how to turn a small portfolio into a big one or how to start creating a portfolio from an accidental landlord perspective happy to help as well And obviously we'll be back next Friday with another episode of the Landlord Page podcast. Don't forget the Landlord Page is the socials. Landlord Page on the socials, Instagram, Facebook. You can check the podcast out on LinkedIn now as well for for regular clips and updates. So if you love listening to us, but you also want to see a, a few little clips on video, then every podcast is recorded for video and for audio. And uh, we're always happy to interact and help with any questions after that. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.